Welcome to the Paul Gunn Podcast. Paul is an American pastor and chaplain who seeks to teach the Bible in an easy to understand and inspirational way to people of all ages. He believes the truths found in the scriptures have the power to change lives. Paul's church has a diverse mix of nationalities and ethnicities where the scriptures are taught in seven languages. When he's not serving his church, he's serving the military as a chaplain. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoy this edition of the Paul Gunn Podcast. The title of my message today is, We Will Not Neglect the Work God Started. I'll be preaching from Nehemiah chapter 9, the last verse, and I'll go into Nehemiah chapter 10. Before we begin our lesson today on uh, Nehemiah 9, I want to just recap what we've learned We have learned that the walls of Jerusalem had been in ruins for a long time, and a man named Nehemiah heard about this, although he didn't live in Jerusalem. He prayed for God's favor, and he committed himself to helping rebuild the walls. He was working for a foreign king, and that king approved Nehemiah's request for leave and gave him some resources. And Nehemiah traveled to Jerusalem. He examined the walls and he rallied the people, he delegated the work, and despite enemies from within and enemies from without, the wall was completed in record time. Nehemiah appointed people to be in charge. He set up rules for guarding the city and he conducted a census to determine resources and manpower. Nehemiah and the prophet Ezra gathered the people to celebrate the new year to recommit themselves to God's word and to worship. The people spent time recapping the the faithfulness of God to the nation of Israel and remembering their own unfaithfulness. Now at this time, the wall had been rebuilt, this one solid wall with gates around Jerusalem. It was was built, and today we would not even be able to build it as fast as they built it. I think it was less than 60 days. Absolutely incredible. And the speed with which it went up and the way in which it was accomplished made all the the regions around Jerusalem afraid because they knew that their God was helping them. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 38 says this. In view of all this, the people said, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. The Israelites had a strong sense of national identity, at least they did now. For over a hundred years, they had lived among the ruins of the walls when they were permitted to return to Jerusalem, so several generations of of Jewish people had come and gone. Now that they were back together inside the walled city and having accomplished this all together and having had the law of Moses read to them and their subsequent repentance and decisions to live better brought them a sense of national identity that they'd not had in a long time. They took responsibility for their sins and the sins of their ancestors as well. They recognized how the individual impacted the community and sufficiently convicted. They repented and 
made a pledge to the Lord. Today we're going to consider their promises and how they apply to us. So today's message has four points. Here they are. First, the Israelites pledged to live differently. Second, they promised to give financially. Third, they vowed to provide physical resources. And last, they committed to care for God's servants. Will you say with me one of our confessions this morning? I believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. It, is the word of God. it is the Word of God. Every word of God is true. If the Bible says something that disagrees with my attitudes, my beliefs, my opinions, or my traditions, I will change with the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope we all meant that this morning. First, I want you to see that the Israelites pledged to live differently. Look in chapter 10. Starting with verse 28, the scripture says the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and oath to follow the law of God given through Moses the servant of God, and to obey, caref obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of our Lord. After God rescued the Israelites from the land of Egypt, he gave them the law, the law which we find in the books of, book of, of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, includes the legal and spiritual principles, all the rules and commandments that God expected of his people, and just like the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, as those help define the identity of the United States, these regulations distinguished Israel from the surrounding nations. And in his wisdom, God gave the Israelites rules that may have seemed ridiculous to surrounding nations, but God always has a purpose. God wanted the Israelites to be different. He wanted them to live distinctly. This was for their own good, and it was for his glory. He wanted to protect them from the dangers of foreign entanglements. He wanted them to protect the Sabbath day so that the people could have a day of worship and rest. Uh, he wanted to provide for less fortunate members of the community. The law also known as the law of Moses, was extensive. It was thorough. It defined God's righteous standard. The law also matured their culture. It helped them become a disciplined people. It separated them from uncivilized tribes, rogue tribes that lived around them. And God wanted to bless the world through these people who had been set apart. However, during the time of Nehemiah, the law had been sorely neglected for generations. And after being reminded of all the ways they had failed God, the people pledged to live differently. Now, we are not under the Old Testament law, but it is important for believers today 
because the Old Testament law, also the law of Moses that's recorded in scripture, it gives us the historic and the cultural context of the day. It provides moral guidance uh, for us today and it provides wisdom. So we have a look back at yesteryear while we also have guidance for today. But as you know, the coming of Jesus Christ ushered in a new covenant between God and humanity. The law was fulfilled and it was superseded by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to this scripture. Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have this, if you don't have this circled in your Bible, underlined, highlighted with arrows pointing to it, you need to. Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So all the rules that apply to the Israelites do not necessarily apply to us. However, just as God called the Hebrews to live differently, he calls us to live differently as well. What a powerful few verses right there. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 tells us, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Someone once posed this question. I'm sure some of you have heard it. If you were taken to court today and accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? God calls his followers to be different. From my Air Force world, I have learned that leaders come and go. And recently I was talking with uh, with a man that I know who is still serving in the Air Force, and he remarked that in his years of observing leaders come and go, the best ones, the most compassionate ones, were the ones who professed to be Christians and that they were kinder leaders. And he believes that it was the Christian influence. It was, the, it was being active in a, a body of Christ that made them better and kinder leaders. I have to agree with that. Our lives should not be defined by our culture. The way we live is determined by the word of God. And you know, God does not call us to fit in. So young people, I want you to hear that. God does not call us to fit in with the crowd. He calls us to be different, which to the rest of the world may look odd, and it will look odd. So the Israelites pledged to live differently. Next, they promised to give financially. And I know some of you think, Brother Paul works this into a lot of sermons. No, it's in the scripture. Nehemiah chapter 10, 
verse 32 says this. The people said, We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feast and at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, and for all the duties of the house of our God. Temple work in this day was 24-7, 365, and it came with a great price. And if the Israelites wanted spiritual reform, they had to put their money where their mouth was. I want you to remember that these were the same people who were, who were suffering from overtaxation. They had to pay taxes to another king, which is called tribute. These were the same people who complained just a few chapters prior that they could not eat. Most of the people who signed the pledge, in fact, the overwhelming majority of them, were not wealthy individuals. But they vowed to give financially anyway because the work of the temple was important. So here we have a group of overtaxed, hungry, poor people. Are you hearing me? Who decided that the work of the temple was important. Industry research tells us that the average American spends about $3,000 each year eating out. I'd say it's probably more than that in many cases. And we, we spend about $1,300 or more on cell phone plans and about $600 or more on streaming plans. You know, a famous politician once said, Do not tell me what you value. Show me your budget, and I will tell you what you value. Could your budget be submitted as evidence to prove that you're a Christian? Or would it serve the opposite effect? How we spend our money does indeed say a lot about us. So we see that the, the Israelites pledged to live differently. They promised to give financially. And third, we see that they vowed to provide physical resources. When these folks said that they, that they assumed responsibility, they were not joking around. Of course, they had a lot of buy-in. Why? Because they'd spent several months rebuilding the walls with the back-breaking labor that it must, must have taken without any modern equipment whatsoever. So, of course... They wanted to succeed as a people. Of course they wanted to be right with God because they had buy-in. They were all in with their buy-in. Look at chapter 10, verse 34. Nehemiah 10, verse 34. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. So in addition to financial giving, 
practical resources were needed to maintain temple operations. And that day, those things were animals for the sacrifices, food for the priests, and wood for the fires. And specifically, fuel was required to burn all the sacrifices. So the people devised a plan by which they could take turns bringing wood. And this was, this was not only a gift, but a personal sacrifice of time and energy. The families who brought the wood were also the families, the ones who chopped it. So the Israelites pledged to live differently. They promised to give financially. They vowed to provide physical resources. And the next, I want you to hear this. They committed to care for God's servants. Do you see that right here in Nehemiah, we have the formula for what the church is supposed to be. And I, I, I love this, kind of the, as, as the capstone of this is that they committed to care for God's servants. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39 says, The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of great... Listen to this. The Levites were expected to give. The priests were expected to give. They are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. According to the law, the priests and the Levites were not supposed to have any land of their own. The people were supposed to provide for their needs. And the Israelites recognized that the priests and the Levites were set apart by God for specific duties. And if, if they were not provided for, if they could not do their jobs, the people would suffer. So in order to take care of the people, the people had to take care of them. The church is composed of all Christ followers everywhere. But we do meet together in small or local congregations like Tusculum Hills. And we do not have priests. You don't need a priest, as you've heard me share this time and again, that Jesus is your high priest. And, and if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you, you are your own priest. It's what we call the priesthood of the believers you can go to God through Jesus as our high priest. You don't need that mediator. But we do have pastors. We have worship leaders. And we have staff that serve the body. And we get that instruction from the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out in the grain. 
and, it quotes another scripture, the worker deserves his wages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 12, it says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. You know, spiritual leaders today are no less worthy of the care than the spiritual leaders of Israel. Uh, care is not limited, listen to me, to financial provision. You can, you can care for your spiritual leaders by praying for us. Ron and Janice McGowan have told our staff numerous times that they pray for us every single day. Ron and Janice, thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate it. We know that many of the rest of you do, too. But if you don't, put our names on a post-it note somewhere. We need the prayers. And you can care for us by encouraging us and showing appreciation for our efforts. I remember a long time ago, I took a group of kids to camp. I lived in Texas at the time. There was one particularly ungrateful mother who loved to bring her child and, and hand her over to me in the youth group. And, and she never said thank you. It was like it was some type of entitlement, some type of expectation. Well, while we were, were at camp, uh, the girl, her daughter, had some type of, I'm going to call it a fake sprained ankle. Do you, know, do you know that girl? Do you know that junior high girl? She's got a fake sprained ankle. <laughs> and so uh, she, would, she would limp and she would go to the camp nurse when there was an activity she didn't want to do. But when the trampolines were available in the afternoon, her, her ankle all of a sudden was okay. So I just kind of played along. And at the end of the week, we... We came back from camp, and the kids were singing camp songs in the van. And we, we, as we were getting out of the van and getting our luggage, guess who decided to limp? And this girl went to her mother and said she had a sprained ankle. Well, it gave the appearance that no one cared for her daughter's sprained ankle. So instead of the mother asking me or inquiring, she got in the car and it was a gravel parking lot, and she, this is after I spent a whole week with her daughter and the other kids, and she punched the gas pedal and threw gravel all over me. And that was the last time I ever saw them. Thank the Lord. <laughs> and you know, those types of things, after a week of serving, you just shake your head and say, Lord, I'm doing this for you because I'm not doing it for anybody else. I want to move to this point here, and that the Israelites didn't just think about this stuff. They didn't have a committee meeting and decide to do nothing. They didn't make a list of things that they hoped to do one day. They didn't say, when our incomes improve, we'll start giving. They didn't say, when we regain our strength from rebuilding these walls, we're going to volunteer. They didn't say, well, when the Levites and the priests are fully up and running since we're just getting restarted, 
we're going to, we're going to start providing for them. They did not just say it. They had their promises written down and they properly signed and sealed the document and they put their names to it because it was important to them. And they began the hard work of, listen to me, revitalization. It took everyone getting behind it to make it happen. So, they pledged to live differently, to give financially, to provide physical resources, and to, and to care for God's servants. They pledged not to neglect what God started. I do realize that I am drinking from a well I did not dig, which you've heard me say before. We have very few charter members still among us. We have several more among us who came in shortly after the church was started, not charter members, but almost. I could call you legacy members. I realize I'm digging. I'm, I'm drinking from a well I did not dig. All of us, almost all of us here are, are drinking from that well that we did not dig. Some of you dug it. And we are grateful for it. So here's a question for you. This is not a rhetorical question. This, this is a question I, I want you to answer. Do you believe that Tusculum Hills Baptist Church is a work that God started? Yes. yes. Do you believe that the ministry of Tusculum Hills Baptist Church is something God wants to continue using? Yes. yes. Well... We have to be unified. We have to, we have to support in all these ways that I mentioned. It's, it's just called the hard work. What we don't have to do is we don't have to do the back-breaking labor of rebuilding a wall that's been in ruins for over 100 years. But we do have to, and we have been doing for a long time, doing the hard work of making up for the losses that have happened in the last uh, decade and a half. We have to make up for those losses. We've had over 200 funerals in the last 10 years, and I think about all the people who've left us quite often. But we have to, while we have that great heritage and we have that great legacy, I remember some of those men that are not with us mowing the grass. I remember them singing in the choir. I remember them calling me on the phone while we had conversations. And I don't hear their voices anymore, and I miss them. And while we have that great legacy, we have to look toward the future. We have to ask God to give us new tools, to give us new passion. We have to ask him to help us reach people who will come and be a part of the congregation in the ways that I've just preached. We have to work together. We can't divide up in any factions that just trail off in other directions. We, we don't want any split in the church at all. And to my knowledge, we are unified and we're moving in the right direction. But it takes the hard work of everyone. And as I touched on at the beginning of this message, the Israelites acknowledged 
their, their shortcomings, their sins of the past, even their, even their ancestors. And they, they confessed before the Lord and they said, now let's start anew. So the hard work of revitalization has been seen in these some 10 chapters of Nehemiah. So I want to ask you, could you make a similar pledge as they made? Can we do that? If you're a Christian, you've, thank you, children. If you're a Christian, then you've already done that. God has called us to live differently. He's called us to give financially. He's called us to serve the body. He's called us to care for the servants. These are not suggestions. So let's not neglect what God has started. You've been listening to the Paul Gunn Podcast, produced by Marie McKinney-Oates, available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tina Tran. Have a good day, mate.